Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 409. My name is Minter Dial and I'm your host for this podcast. This week's interview is with Karen Hurt. Karen is co-founder and CEO of Let's Grow Leaders, a training firm focused on human-centered leadership development. She's also a keynote speaker and multiple-time author who recently published her latest book, co-written with David Dye, Courageous Cultures, How to Build Teams of Micro-Innovators, Problem-Solvers, and Customer-Advocates. In this conversation with Karen, we discuss the importance of courage in business, a very practical approach to creating a courageous culture, the importance of humility and vulnerability, the link between courage and empathy, and how to tackle the fear of standing up. You'll find all the show notes on minterdial.com. Please do consider to drop in your rating and review, and don't forget to subscribe in order to catch all the future episodes. Now for the show. Karen Hurt, it is a great pleasure to have you on. I, I um, It's always fun to have people on the West Coast because it means it's the end of my day, generally, which means I'm in a very relaxed position. And I, I've uh, had a chance to be on your show with your husband, David Dye. You are the founder and CEO of Let's Grow Leaders. And so it was only natural that I needed to have you on my show. In your own words, Karen, how would you describe yourself? Oh, well, uh, thank you so much for having me. You know, you know, we really work to help human-centered leaders uh, navigate uh, workplace uncertainty and chaos, you know, through very practical tools and techniques. So that's what we're all about. All right. So I'm going to, you know, I, I was just before we got on the show, I was telling you how I have this background um, and I studied women's studies and I kind of have these rather sexist remarks. Uh-oh. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So very scary, right? Um, this idea of being human-centered, being uh, understanding of the messiness of relationships, I kind of think that's how women understand life. And men, it's, it's more confusing. How do you take that, Karen? You know, it's really interesting because I think we have been in a massive study in the last nine months in this crazy experience that has been this pandemic. And it's been interesting for me to watch the senior leaders that are navigating this well, because this human centeredness has become more important than other ever. You've got people dealing with mental health issues as they're trying to navigate this. You've got people trying to lead well in extraordinary circumstances with kids swinging from the chandeliers while they're, you know, and, and you know, the dog is coming through and it's, if you, if you don't show up human, there is not a connection. And, you know, uh-huh. now you're working in and you're seeing into people's homes and you're having to understand what they're dealing with. And it's been interesting because one of the people who's doing this the very best is one of our clients at Amazon and he's a guy, mm-hmm. you know, and he is showing up so human and so real and so vulnerable that he has got the hearts and minds of a very large organization who are, mm-hmm achieving breakthrough things. And it's, I mean, Amazon is a tricky place to work right now, right? Everybody's buying every, like the volume of everything has gone up. So from an operations perspective, it's been an extraordinary time for them. And so I've just been really impressed that in the midst of that uncertainty and and chaos, how calm he is and how centered 
it is. So I would, you know, to, to say men can do it too, I guess is what I would say. <laughs> Beautiful, of course. And, you know, when you, you talk about Amazon, interestingly, it's a kind of company that gets put up in the top rank, if not, you know, the very top of a company that lives its purpose, is its purpose, and is authentic in, in some regards. And then it's also equally considered the very bottom rank for its uh, sense of purpose and, and full of shit and, and being called out for treating its employees badly. So the question I have for you, Karen, because when, when, when I hear you talk about this individual, I, I, I hear a man who is clearly centered, feeling good about himself, is himself. The question I, I constantly have is the relationship between that individual as a personality mm-hmm. and the company, because as much as he might be exceptional, is he an example of how all the leaders are? Yeah. And then how the leadership culture is therefore different according to personalities. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, because we are working in a cross section, you know, and yeah. so I know, I know that what he's building underneath him yeah. um, at multiple levels, I know what he's values, I know how, you know, but I, I don't know sideways, I, yeah. I haven't had, a, it would be un, unfair for me to make a judgment about whether he's extraordinary or, or not. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, but it, it does speak to this issue of individual charisma, individual yeah. talents, and abilities and emotion and energy and and what is the crossover for the company or with the company I'm I'm working with yeah yeah so i think you know one of the things that we work with leaders a lot on is even if you are in a toxic culture how do you create what we call a cultural oasis you know, um, which is the people that are within your sphere of influence mm. how are you impacting that, you know, so if you're trying to build more courage and innovation in your organization, are you modeling the way we call that navigating the narrative? Are you showing up with courage? Will you challenge your boss? Will you, you know, are you willing to build that um, relationship with your peers that you may also be in a stack rack against? And how, how do you treat, treat folks and concentrate on that versus saying, oh, I can't mm. change it around here. Um, and I know I've had to do that in my career. Um, you know, I, some of the bosses I have worked for have been the toxic bosses that we talk about, you know, at the beginning of the book. And, um, and I was still able to be successful in, in those contexts. And I've had some fantastic mentors and bosses that I've learned an incredible amount from. So I think, you know, one of the things I say is if, if you're, if you don't, have the supports that you need from your immediate uh, supervisor, find it, find it somewhere mm. else in the company, bring in the, you know, build the relationships that you need to get, um, find the others, right? Find the others that will be helpful. Well, so basically what you're saying is take responsibility. Yeah. And don't sort of say, oh, I can't do it because the company culture is not right. My bosses are shit. That doesn't stop you from being who you want to be within your oasis. Yes. Agreed. That's lovely. I, I totally relate to that, of course. And I think that the, the idea of, of uh, taking on that responsibility is so important. Otherwise, you're just going to be dejected and feel horrible. Right. Yeah. You have more power than you think you do. And, you know, be the leader you want your boss to be. And, right. you, know, you, can, you, and you can learn as much from a, a bad boss as a good one. 
absolutely. Not to do. <laughs> I'm absolutely loving that, Karen. Um, so in your book, uh, Courageous Cultures, How to Build Teams of Micro-Innovators, Problem Solvers, and Customer Advocates, which I really enjoyed, it's very practical. And I would love for you to just share, just before we got on, on you were telling how you sort of came to that practicality. And I think that Oasis idea is extremely practical. It's extremely real. You're understanding your governance models, the situation you're in, the limitations you might have, but I will do the best that I can within what I have. But this idea of practical leadership, you really break it down and you make it very realistic. And I, I would love for you to explain how you got to that, because I think that's a, a really useful journey for people. So it's interesting. I spent uh, 20 years at Verizon. So, you know, the my last job there, I was brought in to transform what was, when I took it over, it's called the vendor management organization. And what that was is all of the call centers, other people's call centers, BPOs, who were taking Verizon's calls. And what had happened is we had brought on all of these vendors very, very quickly because Verizon first started selling the iPhone. And that was that happened faster than they anticipated. And so we're having a negative customer. <laughs> yeah, we're having a negative customer experience. Uh, people are long wait times and experience, right? Just anything you can have imagine if you go from the call center from zero to five hundred overnight, right? And so I had a reputation of cult being good at culture. And so they took me out of my sales executive role and said, come fix these companies. Well, as I got in and really understood what was going on, it was, a, it was so fascinating because it's seven different companies and you know, uh, 35 or 36 call centers all trying to do the same thing, all wrestling with the same issues and not a lot of budget. You know, these are low margin kinds of organizations, not a lot of time to do leadership development because everybody's on the phones. So I found like, all right, I had to break this down and make it super simple. Like, how do you connect with somebody that you're coaching at a human level fast? How do you have a coaching conversation that gets them to do more of the thinking and talking than you, right? Some of these really big, how do you run a, an effective team huddle that focuses on results and builds relationships when you have 10 minutes, right? And so I started just writing down that. And I also found myself tapping into my stories because I was like, I know this works because I did it this time. Or, mm -hmm. And so I was telling stories and I was writing down tools and I thought, heck, I should just, I should start a blog, right? Well, I might as well put this help. So I wrote, I started this blog. I remember one Sunday, uh, I sent it to Seth Godin too. I'm like, you should see my blog. I ship my work. But anyway, so, um, and he wrote back, which was amazing. So well, that's uh, pure I, Seth. <laughs> so, but what I did not expect is that the blog started really taking off. I was really just writing it for these center leaders and it was, I got an international following and I started getting asked to, you know, when's your book coming out? Can you be our keynote speaker and all this stuff? And I, oh, people need this. People need human centered tools that are extremely practical. So um, that's eventually this became Let's Grow Leaders the start of the company, but that I think that's very telling is people don't need a lot of theory. Theory is great, but people also need uh, our bet. Our first book was called winning. Well, a manager's guide to getting results without losing your soul. And it was interesting. Our favorite review, somebody said you could read the read, go to the table of contents, pick the topic you need, 
read just that chapter, walk in and implement it with your team that day. It's that practical. And I'm like, that's what really we want, you know? Um, and so our programs are that. That's, um, it's funny, whether we do a keynote speech or a six week program at the end, when we get feedback, that's the word everybody uses every time. Well, that was just really practical. That's very cool. And it's very tangible. And I mean, it's very, sen- you know, you can feel it in what you read. So one quick question, and I want to get to a bigger one. The quick question is writing a blog for public consumption designed for internal. How did that go down in the Verizon thing? Was that common practice? And were you part of a change movement in the idea that you could share stuff outside your Ballywick? So it is interesting. They did not like it at all. Um, and I could tell, I can tell you, and, it, and I never use the word Verizon, never use the word Verizon. Now I, now I do <laughs> sometimes <laughs> when I tell a story, but at that point I did, I never did. And um, my boss said, you know, PR doesn't love that you're doing this. And I could tell you, you, by the way, you've got more followers and more readers than we do on our PR freaking releases that don't say anything interesting or just institutional pieces of shit. So I could tell the day that PR was in because every blog post that I had written, no matter how old it was, got at least one view that day. You could just tell somebody was systematically going through and reading every single thing I had written. And then, and the next morning I got a call and they said, well, we can't stop you because of freedom of speech. Um, But right, we can't stop you, but we don't recommend this. And I'm in, I'm like box nine succession planning to, you know, be a real senior. Uh, And, you know, but I, at that point, then I was just fired up. (laughs) I don't blame you. I, I I had a similar experience and I think it speaks volumes to the way cultures aren't allowing people to flourish and even if you're sharing with your competitors, for God's sake, it, you know, you, you're, you're actually probably attracting far more potential customers and employees than you're helping change cultures at customer, you know, um, competitor X. Yeah, I, it, I, it really did boggle my mind. My dad used to say, it boggles my mind. But, you know, like, because I'm saying only good things, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you, and you're I not mean, even bloody mentioning Verizon for that matter. No, yeah. So the, the harder question is, Karen, you, you've come into this position. You've got 35, 36 different call centers, obviously different names, different organizations, different governance models, probably different compensation structures. Yeah. How on earth did you so quickly understand what was going on? Well, you know, it's interesting because the first thing I had to do, and this was so good. So like, if you can imagine that some of my experience when I went into this one call center, like everybody tries to snow you because you're the, you're the client. And I could close that center like tomorrow I could close. I mean, I had that level of power and we did have to close some centers that there were some that you just couldn't get there from here. But uh, mostly if they had a really lousy center director, honestly, like leadership really matters in those. So that was the common denominator, but I had one really great guy early on he walked in and this is after I've been on this road trip, flying around, visiting all these centers for the first time. Everybody's telling me, hey, there are wonderful plans for recovery, how it's all gonna be fine. This guy says, 
Okay. He meets me in the parking lot. He's like, this is what I want you to feel like what it feels like to be an agent coming in here. And we walk in the door together and he had done all these wonderful things of, you know, free lemonade, you know, just things to make it feel nice. That was great. Okay. And, it, and then we, he says, this is the coaching room and the coaching room has beanbag chairs and like this beautiful screen. Like you can look at the metrics and I'm, and then he says, so here's the thing. We haven't used this coaching room in months. We don't have time. We're, 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 people are working way, everybody's working overtime. We're not giving people the breaks that we normally, you know, it's just like people, we don't, we can't possibly afford because of the call volume coming in. And he said, I'm not going to be able to fix this under these circumstances. And then he took his book of business, like his, like his PL. And he laid it on the table. He's like, do you understand how outsourcing works? And now I've got 20, you know, I'm in a, I'm coming from a, you know, fortune 10 company, right? I don't know. No, I don't. He's like, so here's the deal. When this happens and a panel and you penalize us for lack of quality, this is what happens to our bottom line. He took, he gives me this crash course in how his business works. And then he's like, and so this is how the contracts are. So I, how do we work together so that we cr can create a mutual business partnership that is beneficial for both of us? <sighs> Perfect. And so, I mean, that level of transparency versus the BS that these other guys were, help me help everybody. Oh because God. then I could go back and say, we need to revisit the contracts. We need to revisit. These guys don't have the training that they need. We need to help them. These guys, right? And, you know, this is a very uh, fine line because there's all kinds of co-employment law. And I mean, my lawyer was on speed dial to make sure we didn't cross a line, right? So we did it everything according to the law, but also it was a partnership. And one of the, I think, things that I did sort of the third year in, beginning of the third year, was I started, I brought all those heads of, all those competitors together. So you're seeing the senior vice presidents or the COO of each one of the things. And I did a summit and I said, we're going to share best practices. And these guys were all competing for their, my share. Like I had this volume of calls and they did. And they, and they, it was again, nothing proprietary, but this is what we found about employee engagement, you know, stuff that, that was that kind of stuff that they could talk about. Uh, it was great. Oh, wow. And um, of course, when I went out, there were some of my, you know, some of my best clients are those call centers, you know, that, which that was, has sense. been fun because now we flip the <laughs> flip the roles. Right. But and yeah, you're you're now the, the, the they're your client. Yeah. Um, interestingly, the, the way my parallel universe is when I worked at L'Oreal in the United States selling to hairdressers, we were selling through distributors. And so they're independent. They're yep. like, you're, we had 25 of them yeah. doing a United States for us, two huge ones and, and the rest sort of smaller cutting up the country and, and getting that level of transparency to understand the distributor PL, which is their own thing, right? Yes. That's, that's their private companies. They don't need, to, and plus you're a L'Oreal employee, you know, what, how you, you're going to use that to screw me. Yeah. And and that was generally the feeling, just like these conflictual relationships we have between wholesalers 
and brands. Mm -hmm. you know, how are you going to use this information to fuck me? That's really what yeah. it comes down to. Yeah. And, and so your relationship with that individual seemed, I'm going to guess, based on trust, because they knew that you could use that information to fire them, get rid of yeah. them. And, and when, you, when you finally get in the weeds, first of all, you had the honesty to say you don't know, because, you know, oh, yeah, I know, da, 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 da. not going to help you get in. Right. And then you find out what actually it works. Then, then the issue I was thinking about was that you have 35, 36, do they all have the same terms? And yeah. in, in our case, no. No. <laughs> we had we had all sorts of fudging right. to try to get to a same level, but that included you know changing the terms of uh, delivery of payment, trailer loads. That was my world, and, and I, so I'm really relating into that that kind of story. So Karen, I, we could probably talk actually a whole podcast on that, but I want to get into your book because Courageous Cultures, which you launched uh, just in July 2020, so we're we're not a year into it. And, and courage is such an important word, I think. I've, I've done a film documentary about Second World War. The subtitle of the book has the word courage in it. It's been uh, hopefully in my life something, uh, but in general, when you're talking in, in war times, courage has a specific concept. In business, what is courage? Well, it's interesting because in our, in our definition, we, we're talking about courageous cultures and what does that mean, right? And and so our favorite def definition of culture is Seth Godin, who says it's people like us do things like this. And in a courageous culture, people like us speak up, they share ideas, they raise their hand, they suggest a different way. And so that's particularly what we're talking about. And the irony of a real courageous culture is that it takes less daily courage to do those things because that's the default. And so, you know, the silence isn't safe because the expectation is you're going to bring me your ideas. And so we talk about, you know, so Amy Edmondson, who wrote The Fearless Organization, wrote our foreword. And, you know, she's a pioneer of psychological safety, which is the foundation of all of this. You know, how do leaders make this safe for people? And then what is the courage to speak? And then how do you make it easier for people to have that courage with a little C to speak up? And one of the things that, you know, we have found is that in our research, so much of it was people said, I had a negative experience and I'm never doing that again. Like my boss shut me down. Somebody stole credit for my idea, you know, and we, and we'd say, well, how long ago was that? Oh, well, it was seven years ago. Was it at this company? Uh, no. Right. And you know the psychology behind that is people are more likely to remember a negative experience than a positive experience. And so even if you had, which means that even if you are the best human-centered leader that there is, it's possible somebody on their team worked for a turkey before and they're not going, even though what, no matter that you do want people to speak up, they're like, I'm all right, no, I'm done. And it was interesting, it was uh, keynoting, um, okay, conference in Bermuda. That was lovely. Back when we used to go nice. do such things. Sun tanning and, in between. Oh, it was wonderful. But the, another one of the keynote speakers, she heard me, she, I came off the stage. She said, I haven't spoken up since I was 23, you know, at, at work, you know, and she's like, that's why I had to go. That's why I had to go get, do my own thing. And, you know, because I just knew I would never do it again. 
I had well, that bad of an experience. The irony of a speaker who couldn't speak up. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I love the way you transcribe the notion of courage into being courageous and having behaviors and, and doing things at a smaller level. So it's much more practical. It's typical Karen Hurt, I want to say, <laughs> as opposed to sort of going with the big topics, you know, doing things despite your fear and all that kind of stuff. It's actually doing these things these days and, and making it practical. That makes total sense. So when you, you want to create this safe space and you talk about culture, it's a big word. It's a messy word. You're, let's say you're running a company, you come in toxic environment. How do you, how do you tackle culture? I mean, do you, what, what, what's your roadmap for at least trying to change a, a bad culture to be more courageous, for example? Yeah. So we actually have a seven step process that we, we, you know, encourage people to think about first, it's really navigating your own narrative. Like, do you really want people's ideas? And, you know, Work with someone, you know, you know I, I will work, be having a conversation with a senior executive who's thinking about hiring us. And I get a, sometimes I get a sense of, do you really want their ideas or do you want it? Do you want to just be a high clarity culture where you're telling people exactly what to do? We might not be your people, you know, and I think that's really, that's the first place. What is the culture that you really want to build? Are you serious about it? Are you willing to role model it? Are you willing to go through some of the angst of that? And, you know, I, I run a company too, and it's interesting. I just, I laugh sometimes because I really have to reground myself in my own values because, you know, sometimes people will bring me an idea and I'm like, I want to say, that's a really bad idea. Right. But that is totally against building a, right. You have to say, Oh, thank you so much for thinking about this. And, right. So, so that's the first part. Then, then it's the rest of the steps, create clarity. And that's clarity about two things. One being really clear that you do want people's ideas, but most importantly, and we've learned this along the way, be very clear about what a good idea would accomplish. Because one of the things that um, we, in some of our earlier programs, we would do like these real brainstorming. What ideas do you have? Bring your ideas forward. It's just overwhelming to people. They just shut down. Yeah. But if you and can plus say- you, you know, if you're not, everyone says, well, I want to color my toenails purple. Oh, that's a really great idea. Yeah. Yeah. We're selling spaceships to space. Yeah. And you end up not implementing any of the ideas and then you never do that again. So instead, you know, say, you know what, we really need an idea. And then you have like, we need to figure out how we're going to continue to have the same level of customer experience while everybody's working from home. Or we're going to, you know, whatever it is, is, is very practical. And we have been doing these um, work, these workshops around courageous cultures where we take three strategic ideas that the company has have people use the tools around those ideas way better than what we were trying to do at the beginning. So create clarity, then cultivate curiosity, which is, this is deliberately going out and proactively asking people for their ideas. And we have some tools for that. And then responding with regard, because one of that's one of the things where this breaks down in, in our research, for sure. We were working with a large financial institution and um, they said, oh, we have so many ideas. They had a really sophisticated suggestion system and it was cool. It was like social media and you could like it. And then if people liked it, it escalated. It was really neat. 
And we said, wow, your employee engagement results must be fantastic. And they said, well, no, not really. I said, well, why? Well, because so many of the ideas that we get are already being done. Like people just aren't aware of them. Oh, do you circle back and tell people that those ideas are already, are already being done? Ooh, no. Right? So these, all these things are going into this black hole and they're just being ignored as already done and there's no feedback loop. So that's those are the four key elements. And then we you know, talk about building an infrastructure for courage of, you know, how do you onboard people? Who do you recognize? How do you promote? What are you doing? How are you incorporating this into your leadership development work? That kind of stuff. And then, you know, um, and then how do you make it stick, you know, by really, we call it galvanize the genius, but how do you get it to, you know, if you've got a good idea, how do you figure out how that can scale across you know, and, and that's, that is a concept that I really learned from this whole call center thing, mm. because just because something is going to work well in Kansas may not work in the Philippines, in the culture there, but the principle of it could, right? And so you have to say, why is it, what's underneath why this works? And then how do we scale it so it'll work over here? Giving them the agency, presumably in Manila to figure out their little sort of the trick of making it local. So, you know, the way you explain that to two comments as a listener to you, the first is you're very clear and you've obviously done it. And I really think that's powerful. The second, and, and it goes to a word you use regularly is I love you have high energy and yet you know how to introduce silence mm. into your conversation, which is just very agreeable um, to listen to you, Karen. Uh, so, uh, so the first encouragement there is for everyone to read your book and actually get the seven steps at a deeper level. I wanted to dig into one piece, which really obviously captured my um, imagination and, and uh, I thought was fabulous because I, I like to talk a lot about empathy and clearly you do too. You, you write about it many times. And this idea of practical empathy, which is not something I'm very good at, I, I kind of big, I'm big picture. I, I mean, I talk about things like reading fiction to learn about how other people feel and think that mm. you may not be aware of. I mean, oftentimes bigger ideas. You in your Verizon mode of snip, snap, make it happen, have these three things, you, these cases you talk about. And one of them is the what about Betty? And the second one was the baby Carl. And, uh, and then you have a third example. So I, I just pick, pick the one that speaks to you most to explain how you used the, or how that was used, not by you, how that was used to, to change the culture and allow for more courage or at least yeah. more empathy in this case. Sorry. I love the Betty one because A, I didn't come up with it. One of my managers did. And uh, so you got to love that, right? When people come to you with an idea and it works really well. You, well. you do because you have an evolved situation. Others could get, you know, worried. Oh, that's someone else's idea. How's it mine? And all that kind of stuff. But you have already an evolved notion of it. If one of your team below you comes up with a great idea. Yeah. Well, so the... <laughs> So we, this is the background of this. So we had, we were taking prepaid calls and then postpaid. So there, you know, the prepay has a certain customer, customer base and it's different than the ones that are in these long-term really expensive contracts. Right. 
And so what we found I, I'm th- is- I, when I, when I read that piece, I was thinking drug dealers, you know, prepaid, <laughs> you know, getting rid of the, the easy card. I mean, and, and right. So there is, so you have a stereotype when you think, yeah, you know, right. and I think it's, that's evolving some, but there is a bit of a, it was a bit of a stereotype. Well, the people answering the phones were believing that stereotype. And so as although the rest of the call centers, the ones that were taking the postpaid calls, I was get, we were getting their quality to parity with internal centers. We were significantly lower on the prepaid side. And they were like, Karen, it's prepaid. These customers are never going to give us high ratings. Look at them. They can't even, you know. And so the manager of the center says, Karen, would you mind if I shut down the center for about half an hour, which is a huge deal. You just of don't course. do that. Yeah, right? Right. <laughs> I, I transfer the call someplace else. I need to talk to the team. So we did. And uh, he, he shows, he, put, he gets everybody and uh, he puts on the screen, this picture of this really elderly woman, you know, sitting like at a nursing home bed. And he says, I want to tell you about Betty. You know, Betty was a Girl Scout leader for 40 years. Betty's, you know, husband did this. Betty, you know, and and just paints this picture of this person that you would be like, oh, bless her heart. Betty, what a good human being. And then he says, and Betty is my grandmother. And Betty is a prepaid customer. Next time you pick up that phone, I want you to think, what if this were Betty? And then he got these pins made that said, what about Betty? (laughs) And it became this campaign. But to me, he made a face and and it really did. It it, it worked. I mean, we we didn't get all the way there to the parity with the postpaid, because I think part of that story is true, but significantly, significantly better quality results. Wow. A, he showed up human. B, he put a face on empathy for the the team. It's a beautiful story, on top of which you're very practical 30 minutes. He made a story, and he made it actually deeply personal to his aunt, so, yeah. I mean, you know, cause you in the storytelling mode, we can go, uh, imagine if it were, and it's, <laughs> right. it's not right. And I, you know, and I come up with all sorts of bullshit, but that will seep through that bullshit. So I, I found that just a, uh, a delightful uh, example. You really have read the book carefully. <laughs> um, you, one of the things uh, I, I have a, a, a model that likes to talk about courage and empathy. And I was wondering what Karen's, how, how she connects courage and empathy. Are they related? Are they distant cousins? How do you see those two words jiving together? It's an interesting question. And all these podcasts, nobody's ever asked me that question. Well, I strive, um, I, I, Karen, I am the kind of person that strive, and I, I haven't really got an answer for it either. So I'm looking to co-create with you an yeah. answer. I think courage it's all about relationships, right? We are only, we're only scared, really. I mean, we're scared of cancer. We're scared of things like that, but mostly we're scared of other people and what they think about us and what they could do to us. And so when you think about empathy, one of the questions that I ask in almost every leadership development program I do is say, if you knew 
that your manager truly cared about you and your success. And they had some feedback for you that would be hard to hear. Would you want them to tell you? Hmm. And 100%, every person raises their hand. Of course, I would want to know. If I really believe that they care, of course, I would want to know. Okay. Do you really care about your people? (laughs) Do you really want them to be successful? And if they believe that, do you think they would want you to tell this thing that you're not telling? that you don't have the courage to share it and people are, Oh, wow. <laughs> you know? So I think that empathy is an important foundation for courage, you know, that because if, if there's not a human connection, if you're not, if you are not like, if I don't trust you, I'm not, I'm not going to have the courage. I was just talking to this executive and he doesn't trust a person on his team. Like, and he's got stories and I'm like, I don't know, maybe you might be right, (laughs) you know? And, and so he's done with courage, like with her. And, um, and so I think that's because there's been, there's something that's lost there. Right. And, and part of that starts with empathy, but I'd love to hear what your perspective is on that. Well, yeah. So my, my, the little narrative in my mind is it's about the how. Because when I have a courageous thought, I want to speak up. I don't have the fossu, the, the fear of speaking up. Um, but I want to tell something. If I can tell it in a way that's more palatable for the other person, mm-hmm. that is where empathy dials in. Because I could say exactly the same content, but to somebody in a visual manner, someone in an aggressive, direct manner, someone yeah. in a much more roundabout manner, the, the same content delivered to people in different ways has different impact. And that's why I think there's yeah. a link. Yes. Yes. I agree with that. Yeah. Sweet. Well, I, 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 I was just really coming up with that with you as I was listening to you, because, you know, you were talking about the, the ability to think about the other person when you want to deliver something. And, and, and that trust, this trust component is such a, a critical element. The ability, even if I'm speaking badly towards you, you know, you might not like if I, if I interrupt you. Well, but if I have a karma bank, that's why I speak about karma. If I have a karmic bank that says, well, he's not usually like that. So yeah. I'm going to let that go. And then if I come back to you, so I'm really sorry about that. You know, you could make up and bidget. But if, if you start off the gate, I'm not usually this way. Like, you know, like first date, you sleep together. I don't usually sleep with you first date. <sighs> really? <laughs> it's it's not really good grounds for total trust. So, right. you know, do before you say is the bottom line of that story. But that's sort of maybe wobbling into a different space. Uh, you know, it's so interesting that you say that. I'm thinking about a moment of sort of, ex- I think, extraordinary courage that someone did with me. So I, there was a moment where things were not going well and I was getting in, uh, at Verizon. I was got, getting really a lot of pressure from above. Um, and it was early in this transformation of the, these call centers. And we well, that's typical. The that's typical because, you know, you've just told you're just on the case. You don't even know everybody yet. And they're, they're wait, we're, we're, not, we're impatient. Yeah, I thought you were good at culture. What, what, what happened to these results? I'm like, I've been here 17 minutes, right? But you know, but I started getting really stressed out. And one of my direct reports, Jonathan, 
comes to me and he said, Karen, and I, and I hired him into this role. I joined this organization, this crazy cause, this hard thing, because, not because, because of you. And you are not acting like you. You're not mm-hmm. leading like you. And you're, you're not going to be successful if you don't go back to leading like, like Karen Hurt. And that, but we had, you know, I, there was karma there. He knew that he could say that to me because mm-hmm. he had known me for a long time. He knew that I would take that well. And I thought, thank God for him. Cause he was right. I'm like, yeah, I better stop being so, <laughs> so it's, witchy, it's you know? Well, well that, that's interesting. You use that term, but you know, what, what you're just talking about is the, is having people giving the permission to people in your closest circle to tell you the truth. Yeah. And, you know, as you go up the ladder and going back to my very first question about men, this notion of ego and that ability to hear somebody. I'm not good at that, by the way, Karen. You know, I, I've, I've, I know that I sometimes can take criticism really poorly. And, you know, and it's, it's just my issue. Mm-hmm. Of course, sometimes I think that the manner in which it's given could have been better, could have been better adapted to me. But what you did was you, were, you, you, you had created a relationship where the guy, David, right? I don't remember it wasn't David, Jonathan. Uh, Jonathan. 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 Was able, yeah, David, someone else, to come back and, and say to you something true. And then you accepted it. You didn't get defensive. You didn't go ballistic on him. And, and I think that also, you can't teach that stuff, though. You don't think so? I think that's you, Karen. And, and I'm really interested. Sometimes we, you know, we can say we can teach leadership, but some of this is just have to have some basic intentionality and, and part of this understanding that it's all about relationships, which you mentioned earlier, is knowing that it is messy yeah. and it sometimes ebbs and flows and you too ebb and flow. We're not yeah. always on top of our game. And I believe this is Minter's little belief system. And as I said, sexist that the, the ebb and flow is more natural in, in a female mind than the mm-hmm. man's, which sort of tries to put everything at one level, compartmentalizes and keeps on going, even if it's raining. Ah, I'd rather be marching up and down the yard, which is a Monty Python skit, which just is not, is not computable in a human, messy kind of relationship. Mm. Could be. <laughs> things to things to think about. You're allowed to disagree, eh? Um, I last thing I want to talk about uh, before we close off. I, and I love this whole thing was own the ugly. Uh, and and you've wrote a book uh, about imperfect bosses in the past. So I was I was loving it. And these four critical questions. And I was wondering in in which people can inv- I invite them to read in your book. But is there any preferred pre work? in order to allow for these four critical questions to be effective? Yeah, it, the most important thing when you answer these questions and what are we underestimating? Gee, what's gotta go L, where are we losing? Why, where are we missing the S? Uh, is with regard to what? And so, you know, where do you need an idea? And the pre-work is being really clear on an idea. And when we go to our programs, you know, where do you need an idea? Okay, I hear you need an idea there. Are you actually, so I'll give you an example. Uh, the other day we're working with a um, company, a startup. They've been fast growing. They've doubled in size in the last couple of years. 
And um, she's just at, they just did an acquisition. And she says something about like their brand, like what, you know, how's the brand going to be reshaped given the new, um, you know, the acquisition. And I said to her, do you really want ideas around that? Like, let's be clear. Like, she's so good. She's so good at what she does with culture. I'm like, I don't think we should ask people their opinion because I think you know what the brand needs to be. So let's pick something else and to, to do the only ugly around. And, she, and she's like, oh, it's true. <laughs> and, and so they picked, you know, um, a new product line or something that she actually had more um, curiosity around. Need and for. So, yeah. It's about, yeah. you know, it's very practical advice. You know, it's like you were talking about the brainstorming where, where I was mentioning the purple nail polish. You know, there's, there are bad ideas and, and not everything is needed to be discussed and we don't need to have right. consensus on everything. And, right. and actually the hard thing sometimes is to be able to balance the idea of listening and, and getting the information and then deciding and doing. And yeah. there, isn't, there isn't ever this sort of perfect moment to decide on you know something it's always going to be compromised there's always going to be someone who's unhappy and, and that's also part of it so it's finding that balance so karen I, I i really enjoyed our chat together i um i i love the book i i haven't read your other books but i'm very tempted to read about uh, how to overcome an imperfect boss um <laughs> i would love for people to get your book uh, follow you read your blog if you're still blogging karen oh yes and um, and so what's the best way to get in touch with you, connect with you? Yeah, so you? our website is letsgrowleaders.com. And if you go there, you, you can find anything you want, free chapters of the book, that kind of stuff. So letsgrowleaders.com. I'm very active on LinkedIn too. So I uh, would love to have you join, uh, meet, meet up with me there. On Fridays at 1130, I do asking for a friend, answer your leadership questions in a very practical way. I love that. Asking for a friend, like it's not me. Could you sign right. this to my son called Minter? You know, like when you're <laughs> talking to a famous star that you want to. Yeah, exactly. Beautiful. Karen, thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. Thanks for having listened to this episode of the Minter Dialogue Show. You'll find all the show notes and other blog posts on MinterDial.com. And if you enjoyed the show, please head over to Apple Podcasts to give a rating and review. And to finish, here's a song I wrote with Stephanie Singer, A Convinced Man. I like the feel of a stranger tucked around me Precipitating the danger to feel free Trust is a reason, still I won't tell the lie I sit here passively, hope for your respect Anticipating the thrill of your intellect Maybe I tell myself, there's no use in me lying I'm a convinced man building an urge I'm a convinced man to live and die submerged A convinced man in the arms of a woman I'm a convinced man challenge my fate I'm a convinced
emotions and made a convinced man in the arms of a woman. Despite revenges and struggle with deceit, live for the challenge so life's not incomplete. What's wrong with challenge? I know soon we all die. The feel of a stranger tucked around me, precipitating the danger to feel free. Trust in my reason and let me show you why. I'm a convinced man practicing my lines. I'm a convinced man here in these confines. A convinced man in the arms of a woman. I'm a convinced man. Me to the test. I'm a convinced man. I'm ready for an arrest. I'm a convinced man in the arms of a woman. Sarah, and I want to tell you about my podcast called Can I Offer You Some Feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years' experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, avoiding, or seeking. Feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. I'll also be sharing business bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com.